0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. We will continue our reflections on uh, Psalm 116. This Psalm, in the Hebrew version of the Bible, is two Psalms together in the Septuagint, and in the Egbeya and in the Coptic. The last two Psalms in the Egbeya and the, the Septuagint are combined together in one psalm in the Hebrew version, which is one sixteen. Last time we finished from 1 to 9, which the first a psalm by itself in the Septuagint. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplication. Tonight actually we'll reflect from verse 10, which also the last psalm in the ninth hour of the day. Last Psalm of the nice, Where start? I believed; therefore, I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. This Psalm actually David wrote it while he was in a very big trial, almost going to to die. As he said, the pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then, as we read in verse four. He called upon the name of the Lord and the Lord delivered him. That's why he said, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. Verse 10, he says, I believed, therefore I spoke. I am greatly afflicted. I believe, therefore I spoke. This verse means I am full of faith. I trusted God even in the depth of my distress. St. Paul took this line, verse 10, I believed, therefore I spoke, and applied the principle to his own times of trusting God during the trials, and speaking from the experience of that trust, even in the trying times, the times of trial. As we read in 2 Corinthians, Chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. St. Paul says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, the faith of David, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he, God, who raised up the Lord Jesus, will also raise us up with Jesus, and will present us with you. So he's saying, because we have this faith, that God can do anything, he raised Jesus from the dead. That's why in the middle of our trials, in the middle of afflictions, in the middle of hardship, we believe. That's why we speak. We did not stop preaching, even in the time of trials. The psalmist believed in God, even in the midst of great afflictions. He maintained his faith when actually he was tempted to think that God had abandoned him. All of us during the time of trials were tempted that God abandoned us. And we ask, where is God? Why God abandoned me? Why God left me? So it is no unusual thing for the believers to be persecuted for the confession of their faith. When we say you are Christian, and yet none of these things move them from the faith. They still believe. That's why they speak and testify who are Christian. Their faith remains, and they hold fast onto it. Many and great afflictions are common destiny of believers. The Lord told us, you will weep and lament, and the world will rejoice. But amid the afflictions, The psalmist felt that all men, even the closest friends, are helpless to give any suitable help. That's why in verse 11 he said, I said in my haste, all men are liars. This verse stands in contrast to verse 10. Verse 10, he said, I trust God, even in the time of hardship, God will not abandon me. But he determined that he could not believe in men because men actually cannot be trusted. During the time of affliction and hardship, they are scattered. Even those who will comfort us like the friends of Job, they came to comfort him, but in reality, they added to his suffering more suffering. Liars here means they are false witnesses. He could not have any confidence in people. All men are liar, meaning in those circumstances of distress, no one came to help David, no one sympathized with him. Even his son turned against him and wanted to take the kingdom from him. Having lost all hope in men, the psalmist is committed to trust in God for this is the secure road to salvation from the darkness of trials. When he said, in my haste, what does it mean in my haste? means in confusion, because of the multitude of my troubles. In my confusion. According to St. Augustine, by my haste, he means fear, in my fear, which when the persecutors threaten and when the suffering or of torture or death impend, human weakness suffers. We are confused and we feel that we are suffering. The word liars doesn't mean they are not saying the truth, but means they are vain. Vain means they are like shadow. They can disappear like shadow. They can die. As David said, their spirit will go away from them and they returned their dust. In that day, all their counsel will be dispersed. St. John Chrysostom was wondering, does the word all men include from Abraham, Adam, to the end of the ages? Is it inclusive? That's why he said, why is it that he says all men are liars? So is no one truthful. How? How then is Job, who is described as truthful, righteous, and God-fearing person in the scripture. What of Abraham? What of all righteous people? Can we say all these people are liars? St. John Chrysostom says, Do you see how wrong it is to take the expression in the simplest fashion, as if he meant all people are liars? It is what he says elsewhere, a human being resembles futility. Even if they are not liars, trustworthy, but if they die, how can I trust them? The most worthless thing passing similar to a shadow. We are like shadow. People cannot put trust in human beings. Those who put their trust in human beings, they will be defeated. Then verse 12, he starts saying, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me from verse 12 to the end of the psalm verse 19 it is thanksgiving given to God or offered to God for the granted deliverance he starts by asking a question what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits toward me this question is rhetorical He's not expecting answer but he understands that He has received much from God, but has nothing equivalent to give in return to God. What can we give God? What does he have that God needs? Nothing. Men have nothing to give to the Lord, except to give a little of what the Lord has given us. As we say, from your hand we give you. So he considers the Lord only as the author and giver of mercies. And David has nothing to say of his own merits, nor of other persons who might be an instrument of good to him. There is nothing actually we can render to the Lord or pay to the Lord back for all what he has done for us. The psalmist feels that all of us who are sinners, so actually what we render to the Lord is our evil, our sins, our wickedness, our iniquities. And the Lord actually renders us, render our wickedness, our sins with goodness. Contrary to the wicked vine dressers did when they saw the Son of God in the parable of the wicked vine dressers. When they said among themselves, this is the heir, come let us kill him and seize his inheritance. The vine dressers, they rendered the goodness of God with evil. But God repay our wickedness and our sins with good, because he is the doer of all good things. St. Augustine reflected on this verse and said, The Lord Christ suffered at the time of Pontius Pilate. At the time, Pontius Pilate has been the governor and the judge. Who has suffered? Our Lord, God's only begotten son. What happened to him? He was crucified, died, and buried. For whose sake? For the sake of the wicked and the sinners. How amazing is this humility. How amazing is this grace. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits toward me? David tried to answer this question. What shall I render to the Lord? So in verse 13 he said, I will take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. So what is the cup of salvation? I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving to God. Because when they used to celebrate the Passover, the Jews were bound to drink more than one cup. And these cups actually were sign of the collective joy in the salvation of God. So they used to drink four cups together with singing praises by psalms. So when he said, I'll take up the cup of salvation, means I will give praises to the Lord, give thanksgiving to him. Other understand the psalmist may mean that he will gladly and thankfully receive God's mercy given to him and thus show his gratitude for it. God's salvation is offered to all the world. Many people actually reject his salvation. The non-believers reject his salvation. God offered us a free salvation. I take up the cup of salvation means I will receive this salvation and I will believe in the Lord and I will call upon the name of the Lord. So here the psalmist pledges to show faithfulness to God by depending on him. St. Basil the Great Reflected on these two verses, 12 and 13, and he says, How shall I make a return to the Lord for all the good he has done for me? The cup of salvation I will take up. The psalmist has understood the multitude of gifts he has received from God. From non-existence he has been led into being. God created us out of non-existence. He has been formed from the earth, the dust of the earth, and given the ability to reason. He then perceives the economy of salvation to the benefit of the human race, acknowledging that the Lord gave himself up on the cross to redeem all of us, and he hesitates, searching among all of the goods that belong to him for a gift that might be worthy of the Lord. Which gift? worthy of the Lord to give back. How then shall I make a return to the Lord, not sacrifices, but my entire life? So when I take up the cup of salvation, means I'm offering my entire life to be given to the Lord. St. Basil continues and says, for this he says, I will take up the cup of salvation. Giving the name cup to the suffering of the spiritual struggle, spiritual combat. Taking up the cup of salvation means what? I'm committed to fight the good fight. I'm committed to drink the cup of salvation, the cup of suffering, in fighting the good fight, to shed my blood for the life of holiness. To resist sin to the point of death, as St. Paul said, you did not resist sin till bloodshedding. Or shedding of the blood. Besides that, that is what our Savior taught us in the gospel. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. As the Lord spoke about the cup, the cup of suffering, then this cup actually means the suffering, the endurance of spiritual warfare. And the Lord said to the apostles, to James and John, Can you drink the cup that I drink? clearly symbolizing the death he would welcome for salvation of the world. Thus, by his death, transforming the sinful world into a redeemed world, into a world of thanksgiving for the life the Lord gives us. So this was one of rendering to the Lord a return for the benefits received from his hand, which is, I will take up the cup of salvation, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. In verse 14, he adds something else. I will pay my vows to the Lord, now in the presence of all his people. So the psalmist means that he will declare blessing, and thanksgiving, and prayers. Then, let's take up the cup of salvation. Then drink of the cup which the Lord had filled with his saving grace. The psalmist is saying he will drink from the ceremonial cup, the cup of sacred offering. That's a sign of acknowledgement for having been freed and find ultimate fulfillment in the cup of the Lord. Ceremonial during the celebration of Passover. When we celebrate the divine liturgy, the liturgy is the privileged place to raise up acceptable praise to God our Savior. That's why Jesus Christ refers to this in the institution of the Eucharist. And St. Paul called the chalice of blood the cup of blessing, as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And the cup of blessing, the same meaning of the cup of salvation. Another answer of how the psalmist will respond to God's goodness is in the vows to be paid publicly before the congregation. A vow is a sacred promise to God. Some people used to present vows to the Lord when they are passing through troubles, affliction. The vows can be either money or sacrifices. His vows most probably he made them in private. But in time of paying the vows, he will do them publicly. Why? He wants actually to give thanks to God in front of everybody. That's why he said, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people to glorify God, to declare how God delivered him. He fulfills his vows in the presence of all his people, bearing witness to the faithfulness that God has shown him. Then in verse 15 he says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his sins. As I told you, David, in his trouble, he felt that he is about to die. They will kill him. Now he is saying the life of the sins are so precious in the eyes of God. So God will not allow our enemies to take our life easily. But who are the saints here in verse 15? He is saying the death of his sins, and therefore he did not allow the psalmist to die. So God actually, because the, the precious in his sight, the death of the saints, that's why he delivered David. He did not allow him to die, but delivered David's soul from such thing, death. Saints means the kind people, the merciful people, the godly people. Those whose life manifest their deep faith in God. Those who have determined to allow God and his law to shape their lives. Those who are living the life of repentance. Those who fear the Lord, the sins, take up the cup of salvation. Number two, call upon the name of the Lord. Number three, pay their vows. And number four, their death is precious in the sight of the Lord. Meaning, God sets a high price upon the saint's life. He will not easily grant it to the will of their enemies. If any of their enemies got hold of it, God will make the enemy pay very greatly for it. Even the death of his son, Jesus Christ, he who gave himself up as an acceptable sacrifice, That is the hymn of Fayet of Inf that we chanted during the Holy Week. His God the Father smelled him in the evening on the gulgosa as a sweet aroma. So when the saints suffer for God's sake, as they frequently do, it is most acceptable sacrifice to God. And also the life of a man is said to be precious in the eyes of God, who spares and preserves the life of man. So we can see here that God's people are precious in his eyes. Both living and dying. Their life while we are living is precious in the eyes of God. And our death also is precious in the sight of God. As St. Paul said, if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are The Lord's. San Augustine says, He purchased our life by His blood, which He first shed for the salvation of the slaves, that they might not hesitate to shed their blood for the Lord's name. We are servants of God, we are slaves by nature. So if God shed His blood for us who are slaves, then we should not be reluctant to shed our blood for God's name. So the psalmist states that precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of those who are devoted to him. For that reason, he identifies himself as God's servant. As he said in verse 16, O Lord, truly I am your servant. I am your servant and also the son of your servant." You have lost my bonds. And you can see here the contradiction. He said, I am your servant. Usually the word servant in our mind means slavery. But in the same verse he said, you have lost my bonds, which is freedom. How come? It is a thankful acknowledgement of his obligation to give himself to God. When I know the mercies of God toward me, and God delivered me from death, then the life I'm living right now should be for God. Otherwise, I should have been dead. So now if I'm alive, then this life belongs to God, not to me. Set free by God's great work, both honor and gratitude, let David to forever be God's servant when God actually delivered him from death more than one time. So in honor and gratitude to God, he said, I will be your servant. St. John Chrysostom, in order to clarify to us, the word servant or slave here is not the slavery in our mind in which there is oppression. No. He said he is referring not to ordinary slavery, but to that in keeping with a warm feeling and affection, a flame was desire. So here the servant loves his master, which is actually the highest crown. And then David used a very beautiful uh, phrase here when he said, I am your servant and I am the son of your maidservant. This is a beautiful Eastern expression to indicate one who has been born in the master's own household. In Exodus chapter 21, verse 5 and 6, we'll explain this verse about if a master has a servant. And then because the masters deal with the servant so kindly, so lovingly, so at the time of the jubilee in which this servant should be released, the servant comes to his master and say, I love my master and I want to remain with him. Because I see my life away from my master, even if I'm free is more actually pitiful than if I continue as a slave in my master's house. Then, when he's a slave in his master's, the children are born, they are born of the mother who is maidservant to this master. That's what David meant, I am the son of your maidservant. So, if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. So the psalmist humbly and joyfully professes his belonging to the house of God. My mother is born there, and my ancestors are born there. So I belong to the family who is united, to God in love. We choose by our own choice to serve the Lord and to worship Him. So I am the son of your maidservant. I'm a son of a mother who was devoted and did devote her son to God's service. St. John Chrysostom says, the son of your maidservant, that is, we have been in your service from of old, and from the time of our ancestors, which was exactly what St. Paul cited as the greatest adornment in the case of Timothy. When he said to Timothy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that's in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother, Louise, and your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded is in you also. So Timothy can say, I am the son of your maidservant. And again, he said about himself, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Saying the son of your servant emphasizes the psalmist perpetual servitude. As he said, he shall serve him forever. In Exodus 21, verse six, so this means I will serve the Lord perpetually. Then after acknowledging his servitude to the Lord, the psalmist also acknowledged His God-given freedom, you have loosed my bones. It is because the psalmist is a voluntary servant, not oppressed servant, but by his own choice, chose to serve the Lord, serving God out of gratitude. So God has heard him and has saved his life. It is only natural then that he will pledge true loyalty to God. Some of the fathers believe that the word of the son of your maidservant servant made point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born of Virgin St. Mary without the seed of man. And she said, I am because God has looked to the lowly state of his maidservant. servant Verse 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving, and I will call upon you the name of the Lord. From verse 17 to 19, the psalm ends through the words of the psalmist, praying by recalling the rite of thanksgiving that will be celebrated in the courts of the Lord's house. The sacrifice of thanksgiving or the Passover. That's why he said, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. As you know, there is burnt offering, peace offering, which is the sacrifice of thanksgiving, sin offering, and trespass offering. So he said, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I will call upon the name of the Lord. Then he repaid again, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. Where? In the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. So he is committed to offer the sacrifices in the court of the Lord's house. And he repeats that he will publicly give thanks to God and praise God because he cannot repay God for saving his life. What can I render the Lord? Nothing. That's why what I can offer to give thanksgiving. Sacrifice of thanksgiving is more acceptable than all ceremonial sacrifices and therefore the psalmist determined to offer them. In verse 18, he confirmed what he said in verse 14, I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. And the repetition when he repeated verse 14 again in verse 18, keeps us at the altar with a public sacrifice of thanksgiving. So the determination, I am standing at the altar of the Lord Offering sacrifice of thanksgiving, publicly he will not offer his praises in a corner, but service for God, he will do it in the presence of all his people. That's why you cannot celebrate the Euchar- Eucharist by the way means thanksgiving. Eucharist if thanksgiving, we don't celebrate it in hiding, we celebrate it publicly, because all of us when we come to the liturgy, we are coming to do what to offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving to God for all what he gave us. So as if we are coming to the liturgy saying, what shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits that he has given me? I'm coming here to celebrate the Eucharist, to give thanks to God, and to drink from the cup of blessing, the cup of salvation. He was not ashamed to be called the servant of the Lord, and wish that others might be invited to join with him to worship the Lord. And as I said, vows are debts that must be paid. As we written in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 4, it is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. That's why the psalmist said, I will pay my vows. He will not, like sorry debtors, delay the payment or beg a day, but As we read in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4, when you make a vow to God, don't delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. So the whole signifies that you would praise the Lord publicly as well as privately. That's why he concluded the psalm with the word praise the Lord. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Because hallelu means praise. Yeah, it's Yahweh, Jehovah. So, Hallelujah means praise Jehovah, praise the Lord. And praise the Lord in the courts of the Lord's house, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of you, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. In the proper place where God has ordained that we should worship Him. That's why we come and we praise the Lord here in the church. In the court of the Lord, we offer sacrifice of thanksgiving the Eucharist. The psalm ends with Alleluia, both as declaration of personal praise and a call to God's people to join David with the proclamation and praising God. This psalm is not testimony to what God has done in the past, but it gives hope for us that god will deliver us in the future when we go through a difficult time or in trials when we pray this song this song give hope to us that as god delivered us in the past he will deliver us also in the future most of this song has been applied to our lord jesus christ and to his church in this way it has been considered as a prophetic song The celebration after deliverance draws us into the suffering of Jesus as his offering to God and to us. He suffered and then we celebrate the Eucharist for this sacrifice. He sacrificed ourself to save us and to deliver us. So Jesus himself has become a sacrifice and now we benefit from his faithfulness to God the Father because all of us who are cleansed and purified through his blood. This concludes Psalm 116. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.